Well, good morning, church family. I, um, if we've not met before, my name is Tim Wright. I'm on staff here at the church. I think the most important thing I could say as we begin this, uh, as we begin this sermon is this. And he's not here now. If you would like to learn from Kip Cohn the double roller method of painting, he would be happy to teach you. Um, he's really good at it, this double roller method of painting. I'm joking. Um, we are in a series um, in Matthew 13 about the parables of the kingdom. And it has been, um, it's been good the last two weeks to talk about the kingdom. Sometimes we don't really even quite know how to talk about it. And it's been good to hear what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God. And, and just a little bit of review. Um, I actually hope if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, you'll go back and maybe check those out. Kip has said quite a bit about the kingdom and, and, and talking about explaining it. Uh, but reminded that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. And in the beginning, there was coexistence under the true king. And, and there was right relationship. But then the fall and sin and consequences and brokenness and this constant tension and an adversary. And all of humanity was marred by sin and born at odds with their creator. What was meant to be together became separated waiting for the kingdom to be restored. But then we get to Jesus. And Mark 1, Mark 1 says the time has come. And in Matthew 3, we see the kingdom of God has come near. We see Jesus, the long-awaited Redeemer and Messiah. And there's an invasion and an invitation by Jesus to follow him and join in kingdom life under the king. And Jesus was offering the kingdom Again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to a little bit of what Kip has said the last couple weeks. And right now we have a reality, a taste of the kingdom while we wait for the eternal kingdom under the king. And in teaching about the kingdom, Jesus began to speak in parables. And the parables helped his followers and us to understand the dynamics of how to live presently in the kingdom of the world, yet under the authority of the true king and as part of his kingdom. Because one day the kingdom will be restored in righteousness and joy and peace. In the meantime, we live our lives in service to the king right now. Part of the kingdom, waiting for the king with his eternal kingdom. So Jesus taught about the good news of the king and his kingdom, and he used parables to sift hearts. To sift out those with sensitive hearts so that they could receive more. They were messages for those with hungry hearts, not hard hearts. It was a dividing line of sorts for those that were listening. And as we engage today with God's word, we want to ask ourselves some questions. Is my heart sensitive? Is my heart hungry? Is it sensitive to the kingdom of God? And am I listening? We get to Matthew 13 here, and, and it's the third largest block of Jesus' teaching, and it's the only large block of parables we see in Matthew um, today's parables are really straightforward. In fact, they're short. They're short uh, to the point because sometimes few words are needed. And it made me think about some of, the, 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 some of our most famous speeches. Sometimes when few words are needed, right? The uh, Gettysburg Address, 272 words. But it's something that you remember. I remember memorizing it as a kid and it still has stuck in my head. Sometimes shorter is better. As we were talking at speaking to him this week, I said, it's tempting just to want to read the parables and sit down. 
you know, what do you add to a short parable with no explanation? It's been said that explaining a parable is a lot like explaining a joke. You don't want to be that guy. But we're going to do our best to consider what the king wants us to know about his kingdom. So there's been a point to the previous parables of Matthew 13, and just thinking back at them, we we saw first the, the parable of the soils. And it's this idea that good soil is made evident by growth. Seed grows in good soil, and the first three soils were not good. And yet, you can become good soil as you respond to the message of the gospel and produce fruit and my good soil. And then we saw the parable of the wheat and the tares and, and reminded that judgment is coming, but not yet. Am I ready for the judgment? Now is the time to sow seeds and to grow. Am, am I doing that? Because that's when we're most helpful, not when we're attempting to pull weeds, not when we're attempting to decide who's in and who's out. We are most helpful to the king when we get busy sowing and growing. And, and we briefly just mentioned the mustard seed and the yeast last week. It's this idea that in case you are tempted to lose heart, don't lose heart. The kingdom of God is small, but it's going to grow. And it has been growing. So don't lose heart. It is powerful. Well, as we jump into Matthew 13, I hope you've turned there. Um, let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we, we just want to say we love you and we worship you right now and acknowledge you. We need your help. We want to have sensitive hearts. We want to hear what, what has been said about the kingdom because we want to have sensitive hearts to respond to the good news of your grace and the kingdom of God. Help us in that. Help us not to have hard hearts, but sensitive hearts, to be able to hear, to be able to understand, to put it into practice, and to care. So we ask your help. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, Matthew 13, we're starting in verse 44. Read with me. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Well, as we look at these next two parables, the hidden treasure and what is known as the pearl of great price, uh, these two parables are meant to be taken together. There's one big idea and both based on familiar experiences to the listeners. With the idea of the treasure, it's... um, in that day, they were very familiar with hiding wealth, right? Maybe not finding it, but definitely hiding it because there's no banks. And you took your wealth and you either kept it on your person in, some, in something that was pretty small or you buried it in the ground because that's what you could do. Hopefully no one else saw you. And in, in a time like that, when land would change hands quickly and there were battles and wars and all of a sudden somebody else owns this now piece of land, this idea of finding treasure that wasn't yours was like common idea. It did happen. Um, 
Have you ever found a treasure? I have twice. Um, and I found it in the, 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 this treasure that I found was in Beta Pond. There's a little pond right behind Beta Dorm on Grace Campus. It's a little pond. Uh, I remember as a 20-year-old, uh, I was an RA, and we would often have RA meetings back down there uh, on this little pier. I don't even know if it's still there. But we'd meet out there, we'd talk, we'd do what we need to do. Well, one day, all of us were sitting around there, and we looked down in the water, and we saw something. And, and we looked down there, and we said, what is this? And it turns out it's a briefcase. And so we all like, worked together to scoop it up, and, and we pulled it out, and we put it on the pier. And we looked, and there was like folders and papers and pens and pencils. And something else that had caught our eye initially, it was a, it was a money envelope, like from a bank. And we pulled it out. There's $400 in there. $400. Now, I wish I, I wish I knew then what I know now. Like when you turn that in, right? If you're honest and you turn that in, there's a set number of days that you can actually go back and claim it. Had no idea. Never saw that $400 again. Somebody did, though. Um, that was the first treasure. The second treasure, though, was different. As we were pulling that up, everybody's hands were wet. One of a friend had just gotten married, had just had a new wedding ring, and he's shaking off his hands, and his ring falls off, hits my foot, falls in the water. We tried and tried. We tried to get that, we tried to get that ring out. Um, I actually snuck into the kitchens at, uh, uh, at Grace and pulled out all kinds of pots and pans trying to scoop it out. Don't tell them. Um, never found it. It wasn't for two years later that I, a friend of a friend who I found out did diving and had metal detectors actually got it out. So two years later, I was able to get that treasure out and give it back to my friend. In the meantime, insurance had paid for a new ring, but this one was special, right? It was engraved by his wife, and I was able to give that back to him. Two treasures, I didn't get to keep either one of them. Um, don't feel sorry for me. I didn't keep, keep either one, but it's made me think back about this parable, right? I admit that my thinking about this parable for a long time was that this man was dishonest, Right? This is, what, what were you thinking? I wouldn't tell my kids to find something like that and just keep it for themselves. I wouldn't tell them to find something and then say, hey, you know, whatever you want to do with this. But the point is, Jesus, Jesus wasn't trying to make a point about this man's ethics. And then just in case we're worried and we read something like this, and we're like, man, this guy's so dishonest. Um, he wasn't. Uh, John MacArthur lists out several reasons why this, this wasn't something that was dishonest. And I just want to share them with you. Uh, the first is, it's obvious that the treasure wasn't hidden by the present owner. No one hides a treasure, and then when somebody else wants to buy the land, says, sure, go for it, right? It's obvious that it wasn't his treasure that he had hidden, so he didn't know. Uh, the second is that current rabbinic thinking said that something found belongs to the finder. Just a different way of thinking. Somebody after first service came up to me and said, yeah, we actually have something like that in our culture too. And I said, why? And he said, well, it's, if somebody abandons something at sea, you're allowed to claim it. Who knew? You might have known. Uh, third, most importantly, it says the man, didn't, uh, the man didn't steal anything. Because he's honest here. What it says is he, he found it, buried it again, and then he purchased it at a personally great expense. The man's honest. Well, that's the treasure. Well, the pearl, uh, this is the idea of a merchant who bought items and then resold them at greater prices. And this is obviously a pearl merchant. He, he is always looking for something, a pearl, that is worth something, but he can pay less for it than what it's worth. And he does, he finds it. He finds the pearl, the pearl that changes everything, the pearl that makes all other pearls look worthless. 
And just like with the treasure, this man sells everything he has to purchase this one pearl. And the main idea is here is straightforward. And, and Jesus thought it really needed no explanation. And it's this. The kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing anything and everything to gain it. The kingdom of God is worth everything. Remember, Jesus wasn't trying to teach everything about the kingdom of God here. So we want to be careful in reading in too much that Jesus himself wasn't trying to say with these two illustrations. But let's try to make some observations and let's try to stay close to the text as we do it. Um, the first is this. The kingdom of God is costly. The kingdom of God is costly. Um, some writers, as they've written about this, they've tried to draw a distinction between how each of the men was searching. I, I don't think that's his point, right? Um, I'm not sure that's his point, but we can be sure that the point Jesus was trying to make was about the cost of the pearl. In the first, it says he found, with, he found it with joy and saw, sold, it, um, sold all that he had and bought the field. In the second, he says he sold everything he had and bought the pearl. In both cases, the cost was everything. And in this case, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about salvation. But don't get caught up in this idea as you hear this, that somehow we purchase salvation. We don't. Jesus did. But there's something here of a transaction. Our salvation costs Jesus everything. It costs him his life. The parables here remind us that it costs us everything too. You know, we've talked about in here a number of times about what happens when you come to faith as a child versus when you come to faith later in life. Um, there's something differing about coming to faith as an adult. You know more of what you've found. And those of you who have come to faith later in life, we need to hear your stories. We need to hear your stories of your choosing and what you have chosen to give up. You know the pain of sin and a life apart from God. In a very real sense, you understand more of what you are given uh, what you're giving up to gain salvation, you have understood more of the cost than some of us others. There's a cost in turning away from everything else that we think is valuable. But the cost isn't really different when you're young. You just don't know it yet. The reality is that we are giving up all our future self, our possessions, our relationships, our personal glories, our potential experiences, even our dreams of the future, we give all of us up as we turn to Jesus in faith too. We just might not understand it quite yet. Because remember, the call is to discipleship. The response, um, to respond to the call of Jesus to repent, believe the good news of the gospel, and follow him. To become a disciple, to lose your life for Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue saying this. In fact, he says it a few chapters later in, in Matthew 16. He says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There is a great cost to the kingdom of God, a great cost to salvation, a great cost to becoming a disciple of Jesus, which we don't get completely right at the beginning. We grow into this. And many of us who came to faith younger have had to grow into this kind of understanding for a long time. Uh, but, but all of us live in this long battle of surrender and submission. And we live on this idea, this long path of growth 
of understanding the realities of living in the kingdom. And we have to grow into this type of understanding. It costs everything at the beginning and throughout. Where else, uh, this made me think, where else do we hear this kind of language in Scripture? I think it's in Proverbs. By the way, we're going to be studying in Proverbs soon. Uh, We're going to take a look at the first nine chapters of Proverbs coming up here in a few weeks. But this is the same kind of language we get in Proverbs when when it talks about seeking, searching for wisdom. That path, the path of wisdom. And it says this in Proverbs 2. This is small. You might not be able to read it. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And it's stated just simply in, in a few chapters later in Proverbs chapter 4. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. There's a cost. And in responding to the kingdom of God, we are to trade all we are for all that Jesus is. That's the cost. And it's the story for every believer. It's what you and I have to do. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves in thinking that this is somehow abnormal. It's not abnormal. It means you and I must ask ourselves some very basic questions. Have I given up everything for the king and his kingdom? If no, why not? And how am I growing in my understanding of the cost of salvation? Am I understanding this more and more and more as I grow more and more in love with the Savior? Because the kingdom of God is costly. But the second observation is the kingdom of God gains us everything. Yes, it's costly, but it's also priceless. The kingdom of God is a good deal. Remember, you and I trade all we are for all that Jesus is. It's the cost, but it's also the benefit. There's nothing worth holding on to where we don't get the best end of this deal. And I know there's some of you in here right now that you are weary and you're tired, and you are in danger of losing sight of that, the benefits. You wonder if it's worth it. Friends, can I remind you, in Christ, you gain everything. No cost to follow Jesus is too great. You gain it all. You and I get a new relationship to the Creator and the Judge of the universe. He is now Father, and He declares our sins forgiven, and He gives us new life, eternal life. And this father urges us to relate to him in prayer. And he tells us to bring everything, everything. Have you read the Psalms lately? Everything to him in prayer. And he takes it and he takes us. And this father gives us direction and purpose and life. And lovingly, he does not give us every option going forward. The whole world is not open to us. That would not be freedom. He paints a picture of how a life of joyful obedience is the only life of freedom. And lovingly, he disciplines us when we get off that path. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he gives us brothers and sisters and he gives us a family, the church. And we have hope in the Lord both now and for the future. And he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us or any believer, both now and for eternity. Friends, you and I gain it all when we give up everything. Trading our lives for Jesus' life is a good deal. 
the kingdom of God gains us everything. Um, think back. What did you have to surrender to come to faith in Christ? Do you remember? Whatever it was, it was worth it. What do you have to surrender now to hold on to faith in Christ? Whatever it is, it's still worth it. It's still worth it, no matter the cost. The kingdom of God is worth everything, and it gains us everything. Next parable here is about the net. Right? There's several types of, we're talking fishing here. There's several types of fishing in Jesus' day. The hook and line, we, we're familiar with that. Throw your line in, catch a fish. This small one-man net fishing, right? Somebody has a little net, they throw it in, it waits, pull it down, you can pull it up. You get whatever's in the little net. And then there's this idea of large-scale dragnet fishing. Where either you have two boats or a boat with a large uh, net connected to the shore, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of people. But this idea of this big net, it pulls in everything. There's nothing that escapes it. Everything comes up in this net, and you have to sort it out. It's like this idea that the large-scale dragnet that Jesus is referencing here, it picks up everything. And this parable is like the parable of the wheat and the weeds. In the first, there is good seed and bad seed. And in this parable, there is good fish and bad fish talking about people here. And the focus, the, the focus that Jesus is talking about is on the catching and the separating of the fish. What's the point? What's the catch? At the end of the age, God will gather all people for judgment. No exceptions. No exceptions. Kip talked a lot about this last week. Uh, just a few observations here. The first is this. Judgment is coming, and it includes the reality of hell for those who have not responded to the good news of the kingdom, but eternal life for the righteous, those who have grabbed hold of the treasure. And what that should create in us is both joy if you have grabbed hold of that treasure, but also then urgency to recognize, I want to be urgent with that privilege, with what has been um, given to me that I could share with others. Because the second is this, however, judgment is not yet here, which means now is the time of grace. Now is the time of grace. We get a chance to sound the warning. Grace comes before his judgment. Did you notice that the net, it says that the net pulls up all kinds of fish? It's people of all nations. And as you and I consider the kingdom of God, realize it's a call for every person and every nation to respond to the king and to respond to the call of the kingdom. If you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. It's interesting he's speaking here in terms of fishing. Um, this is something uh, many of his disciples, they just really understood well. But it's what he's been telling them from the very beginning. It's the picture he's been sharing right from the beginning. In Mark 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the good news. But right away he says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Friends, this is us. Today is not the day of judgment. It is the day of grace. God is calling men and women, boys and girls of every tongue, tribe, and nation to join in the kingdom of God. And it's our greatest calling to join him in that mission, to fish, to snatch people from judgment. They too can trade everything they are for everything that Jesus is. It's the best deal. Um, but we have to be careful 
right? This isn't the text here, but I think we have to be careful uh, not to fall prey to some current thinking because these are not popular concepts. Um, Thinking that goes like this, you know what? Judgment is unfair. Hell is unfair, which makes God unfair. And this is not the kind of God I choose to follow. You've heard that. Or like this, um, evangelism is unfair and it's outdated. Who am I to tell someone else how to live? This is awkward and maybe even unloving. Pass. Or, you know what? I'll take the kingdom. I'll take the joy and the mercy and the justice and the good works. But not the king. His way is too narrow and his way is a burden. And by the way, so are his people. Friends, the most loving thing we could do is to help others trade all that they are for all that Jesus is. Don't believe the lies of unfairness. One day judgment is coming for everyone. The net is unreal. I'm sorry, the net is real. What's unfair here is grace. What's unfair is grace. Um, And what's unfair is when I choose not to care about it. And so Jesus said, have you understood all these things? And one writer um, sums this up well. And he says this. Have you rightly put all these things together? Jesus was asking. Have you understood what I've been saying about the kingdom in these parables? Do you comprehend the truth that the present form of the kingdom will continue to have good and evil in it? Do you realize that believers will continue to grow in numbers and permeate and influence the world? Do you know that entering the kingdom involves the recognition of the worthlessness of everything a person has apart from salvation in Jesus Christ? Do you see that the final separation of the righteous and the wicked is inexorable and inescapable and that the fate of both is eternal, the righteous to everlasting life and the wicked to everlasting punishment? To which they answered yes. Yes. And in their own imperfect, still-growing understanding, they were starting to put it together. And so Jesus said in verse 52, He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This idea of the scribe, right? Someone who wrote also meant this idea of a learner, a teacher of the law, the Old Testament. And this is what the disciples were becoming. This ragtag group of men. Uh, from various backgrounds, were becoming teachers, men who would pass on the message of the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. They had become like the owner of the house, uh, the head of the household who had the responsibility to care for his house, the owner who would steward and distribute the goods of the house, both, both old and new, to care for the household. These men were becoming the messengers who would distribute the good news found in Scripture, found in Jesus to the world. Have you understood all these things? Friends, the kingdom of God is worth everything and gains us everything. The message is not just for you or those that look like you or think like you or believe like you. This message is for people from every tongue, tribe, nation, social class, sexual attraction, political affiliation, everyone. And you have something to offer the good news of the kingdom of God. Have you traded all that you are for all that God is? For all that Jesus is? The gospel is worth everything and it gains you everything. Grab hold of it. 
offer it to others, the kingdom of God is worth everything. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help to actually believe this. We know it's worth everything, and we struggle in living our lives in such a way that we recognize that and growing in our understanding of what salvation has cost and how precious it is. We don't want to keep that to ourselves. We want to follow you and then extend that same grace to everybody else while it's still the time of grace. Oh God, stir in us a heart and a passion to care about others, to offer them something of this good news, to offer them you. It is a good deal. Help us to not keep that to ourselves. Help us to live as if it is the best deal, trading all of you for all that Jesus is. Oh, we need your help in that. Help us in this. Jesus, please. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.